You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. This episode, we are continuing in our series on the life of Christ by Brother John Martin, who sadly passed away earlier in 2021. In this episode, episode 10, he's looking at Luke chapter 22 and verses 31 through to 39. And the title of the episode is called Peter's Vow of Loyalty. Enjoy the episode. Until next time, God bless. my dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we want to consider this evening those vows of Peter that he would never ever forsake the Lord, brethren and sisters. Now when you read the record it's obvious that Peter was involved in this particular discussion on more than one occasion in this record. It's very, sometimes very difficult to sort that out but it's clearly obvious that in Luke chapter 22 which we read the words we read there were said in the upper room. And then later on, as they were on the going on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, as recorded in the 26th chapter of Matthew and the 14th chapter of Mark, uh, this matter again was taken up with Peter. Now, as our custom has been, that we would normally follow in chronological order, as best we can at any rate, as can be understood, we would try and follow the life of the Lord in chronological order. But I thought we'd put these events concerning Peter together, brethren and sisters, to get a comprehensive picture of this particular incident and the lessons that we can learn out of it. So we have this record then in Luke chapter 22 where all this took place in the upper room as we read in that last verse, verse 39, and he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. So that, that's the end of that record is that they move out of the room. So what has just been read before that, of course, happened in that room. And here we are, brothers and sisters, at the end of the memorial supper. It's all over now. The Lord has taken that bread and the wine of most significant nature. He has spoke comforting words to his disciples. And you can imagine the atmosphere that had been built up in that room. And then he turns to Peter. I didn't call him Peter though. And in verse 31 of this chapter, chapter 22 of Luke, he calls him Simon. He doesn't call him that once, he calls him that twice. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Now, it's interesting, brothers and sisters, that the Lord should call him Simon. Now, we know that Peter had his name changed to Peter. He was, of course, known as Simon. And there was a significance in the change of his name. He was to become that rock who was to be the presenter of the gospel in the second chapter of Acts. And he was to be a changed man. He was going to go from Simon to Peter. And Simon, of course, is the Grecianized form of Simeon. And Simeon in the Hebrew, we understand, of course, means hearing. Hearing. And virtually what the Lord is saying to him is, listen, listen. That's what he's saying to him by the use of that name. 
And by the very use of that name too, brothers and sisters, he's indicating that Peter has somewhere to go before he can really earn the title of Peter. As we all do, we're not here tonight to, to speak, to denigrate the Apostle Peter. The record, of course, is fearless in the way that it presents the weaknesses of men. We're not reading here heroic fiction, brothers and sisters. This is God's estimation of all men. And unfortunately, as for all of us, of course, but in this case, in the case of Peter, the matter has been made public as a lesson for all. So we're not here, therefore, to, to, to deliberately try and denigrate Peter or to suggest in any way, shape or form that we would have done any, any different. Matter of fact, brothers and sisters, I fear as what any of us might have done in the circumstances in which he was found. So having said that, we nonetheless have this record of this man's avowal and the lessons that he learned out of it. Listen, listen, Simeon, hearing. And it's remarkable, isn't it? You know, you, if you want to see the, the significance of this, you want to sometimes sit down with a pencil and paper and, and make a note of all the Simeons in the record of the Lord's life. All the Simeons that were there. And you know, it's not invariable, but in a lot of those cases, it's where men were hearing but not doing and as the Apostle Paul, who said in Romans chapter 2 and verse 13, it's not the hearers of the law, but the doers of the law that are going to be justified. So here he is, Simeon. And Satan had desired to have him. And that's, of course, as in the authorised here, the Greek is in the past tense. Simeon, Simon. They've been working on you, that they've been discussing you, and you're the next target. Who is the Satan? There's no question in this context who the Satan is. And it's a study in itself, brothers and sisters, is when you, you take the term Satan in, in the New Testament, again, it's not invariable, but you will find a lot of references. The Satan is, is of course, a, a title which the, the Scriptures give to the Judaizer to the adversary of God's purpose. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul was speaking about the influence of this very prominent Jew, he said, Satan himself, he likened him to the head of that, of that movement. Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And the context of that chapter is clearly Judaism, a legal mind, a cold, hard, formal, legal mind, brothers and sisters, whose life is regulated by laws and precepts and nothing else. And of course, the particular Satan, the, the Sadducees who had the priesthood, thought, brothers and sisters, that obedience to law brought its own reward in this life and when you were dead, you were dead. And so they, their lives were dedicated to ceremonies, to little jots and tittles, to laws and, and, and statutes and, and looking down their nose at other people. And they had desired to have Peter and sift him as wheat. You know, you read in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 9 of the synagogue of Satan. You read about those who say they are Jews and who are not. And you read about the Nicolaitans whose doctrine and deeds, says Jesus, I hate. In one reference he says, I hate their doctrine. Another reference he says, I hate their deeds. Who are the Nicolaitans? Well, you, you, you don't have to be a very brilliant brethren and sisters to find out who they were because you go back, you've only got one record concerning the Lord, that is the four gospel records, you've only got those four records, you don't have to go very far through those records to see what it was he hated, do you? 
is absolutely manifest who he was referring to. And do you know, he had a man came to him at night, Nicodemus. Now he changed, we know that. But there he was at that moment, representative of them. Nicodemus means exactly the same as Nicolaitan. The only difference is the word demos means people, the word laity means people. The word nika means to vanquish, to be victorious, to lord it over the people. So here were those who lorded over the people. And Nicodemus, the word demos, is used of the Jewish people, not exclusively, but it's used of them. And he stood for that Pharisaical group, brothers and sisters, who lorded over the Jewish people. And that spirit had got into the Gentile ecclesias. All over the world, that same spirit lorded over the laity. And the word laity, of course, means lay people, people of the ordinary movement all over the world. And that spirit of Nicodemus had got into Nicolaitan. And Jesus said, I hate their doctrine and I hate their deeds. Now there's your Satan. No reflection on Nicodemus personally because he changed. But there he was at that moment in darkness, coming to the Lord in darkness, representative of that movement at that moment of time. Now that's the crowd that had gone into consultation that are going to work on Peter. And the Lord knew all about it. Matter of fact, brothers and sisters, as we go through this record, it's quite, quite awesome. Absolutely awesome to see how the Lord knew everything. There was nothing he didn't know. And he knew the counsels of those people and he knew that Peter was next. They'd worked on Judas, hadn't they? They'd worked on Judas and they'd been successful with him, brothers and sisters. But what we need to know before we move on, though, in this verse here is this, that when the Lord says Satan has desired to have you, that word's in the plural. Not referring to Peter there singularly. In other words, he's saying to, to Peter, Simon, listen, listen, Satan has desired to have all of you. They were planning which one they could break down. Peter was in their, in their sights, truly, but so were all the rest. And they were thinking, brothers and sisters, where was the weekly? Who could they work on next? Matter of fact, in the next verse he says, but I have prayed for thee. That's singular. So look at the difference. Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have all of you, but I've prayed for you. And you know, in this very reference, which quite often is quoted to show Peter's weakness, brothers and sisters, and it does that, there is a sense and with this verse really is showing Peter's relative strength above his other brethren. Think about it. They want all of you. But Peter, I'm going to rely on you. Singular. You're going to have to pull your brethren out of this. In another way, that was a very, very wonderful comment, brothers and sisters. A very wonderful comment that the Lord was making to him. And he said to him, Peter, in verse 32, I have prayed for you. Now that's again the past tense, of course, as it is here. The Lord had already prayed for him. He, he'd seen what was going on. He knew what was going on in their councils. He, he knew the weaknesses of the apostles and he saw that if anyone was going to stem the tide, Peter could do it and Peter could become an example to, to the rest of his apostles. And the Lord, before he ever said that, had prayed for Peter for this moment, brothers and sisters. 
Think of what he knew. Think of what he knew about that. And he said, Peter, I have prayed that thy faith fail not. Now, they're going to sift him as wheat. Now, on an earlier occasion, Jesus said, if you had faith as of a grain of mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, be removed into the sea and henceforth. They said, Lord, increase our faith. He said, increase your faith. Listen, if you had faith like a minute grain of mustard seed, you could do this or that. Now, Peter's faith, brothers and sisters, is going to have to be a little bit bigger than a mustard seed to escape that sieve. Now he said, he's desired to have you to sift you as wheat. That, they are Old Testament figures. Have a look at these two references. In Isaiah chapter 30. Now what was the practice? The practice was that when they had tossed the sheaves into the air or the, uh, the, the, the stalks that had been chopped up by the hooves of the animals, they threw them into the air and the wind blew away the chaff and, and some of the, of course, the wheat would fall to the ground. But then they would put it through a sieve on some occasions, a finer process to separate the wheat from the chaff. And so we have in Isaiah chapter 30, brothers and sisters, and in, and in verse 28, when speaking about God's judgments, it says, And his breath as an overflowing stream shall reach to the midst of the neck to sift the nations with a sieve of destruction, as the RSB says. And there shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people, causing them to err. And so there the nations are put through a sieve. God's judgments, brothers and sisters, are going to be very finely tuned. They're going to be finally applied. Nothing's going to get missed. And so the idea of a sieve there, of sieve this time of destruction. But in Amos chapter 9, we have it used in another sense. And here the figure again is used here, but this time a bit different. Amos chapter 9 and verse 9. For, I, for lo, says the prophet, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations like as, like as corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. Nothing would be lost. And so, brothers and sisters, the, the house of Israel is going to be separated from the nations. God will not lose them, will he? He'll put them through a sieve. And the, 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 the fine grains of chaff that are left that the wind didn't blow away will go through, but the wheat will not fall to the ground. Now it's interesting that when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, they have desired to sift you as wheat. He didn't say char. And he saw, brothers and sisters, that ultimately Peter would make the grave. They weren't going to sift him as chaff. They were going to sift him as wheat. Peter would survive, wouldn't he? The very purpose of sifting, of course, was to save the wheat and to get rid of the chaff. Well, Peter was going to be sifted as wheat. That's interesting. Now, back in Luke chapter 22, the Lord went on to say to him, But I have prayed, he said in verse 32, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted... Strengthen thy brethren. Now, you see what he's saying. Now, you know, a lot of, as I say, a lot of people quote those words almost cynically of Peter. Oh, he wasn't even converted. Well, neither were his brethren. And furthermore, brothers and sisters, the Lord is saying, Peter, I need you to help your brethren. You think about that. So in one sense, it's of course, 
a very grim warning about his weakness. In another sense, brothers and sisters, it's a very big compliment. The Lord is well balanced here. He, he's not there to, to denigrate Peter or to belittle him. He knows where the weakness is, but he knows this, that this man has it in him. He can make the grade. He is weak. They will sift him, but he'll sift him like wheat. And he'll survive that sieve. When he does, then he can be an example to his brethren. And Peter turned out that way, didn't he? He's always up the front, wasn't he? He still made his mistakes in the future, brothers and sisters, but he was a wonderful man and he became a powerful example among those apostles. When thou art converted. The word means to turn back again. Turn back again. So Peter was going in the wrong direction. Now in the first of Peter, chapter 2 and verse 25, and note what I'm quoting, first of Peter, here's his own words. Here's the same word in the Greek. And, and it's amazing how many things that Peter picks up out of the examples he was taught by the Lord and about, the, about his own life, the, th the lessons that he learnt. It's amazing how many references there are in the epistles to Peter to these incidents in the Gospel record. Here's one of them. In the first of Peter, chapter 2, he says, For ye were as sheep going astray, but now returned, there's your word, converted, under the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And there was poor Peter, brothers and sisters, like a wandering sheep, He'd gone away and the Lord says, Peter, you need to turn around and come back. And Peter says, we're all like that. For ye were as sheep going astray, but now are returned. Same word in the Greek, unto the shepherd and bishop of your soul. Now, Jesus said, Peter, when that happens to you, strengthen your brethren. Now, you look at this. In the first of Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, here's that word for strengthen. And Peter was was faithful to the charge that he had. In, in chapter 1st of Peter 5 verse 10 he says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a little while, make you perfect, establish, and there's your Greek word, same word as strengthen your brethren, establish, strengthen and settle you. And again, brothers and sisters, the same word, 2nd of Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, Wherefore, he says, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and ye be established, same Greek word, in the present truth. Strengthen your brethren. And said, here he is. He said, I won't be negligent. I'm not going to be negligent about this. I'm not going to be apathetic. I'm going to do what I've been asked to do. And he did it faithfully, brothers and sisters. He learnt his lessons. Now in Luke's Gospel, as we've been considering that now in this particular incident, he goes on to say this, marvellous lessons here. He says in that 22nd chapter of Luke, in verse 33, he says, And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And you know, in the Greek that is very emphatic, so we're told by the Greek students. Peter was saying, to quote the original Greek, the, the emphasis, he says, Lord, with you I am ready. And looking at the Lord in full confidence, standing high as a tall man, he would look at the Lord and say, Lord, with you I'm ready. Well, he wasn't ready, was he? And the fact that that is confidently stated, emphatic in the Greek, brothers and sisters, shows that he wasn't ready. It shows that he wasn't ready in that frame of mind. If you look at John chapter 21, the time came when he was ready.
And Jesus reminded him of it. Now it happened, don't you? The incident when the Lord, of course, standing on the shore, said, Children, have you caught any fish? No, we'll put your net on this side. And of course, when they all said, Who is it? And John said very emphatically, It is the Lord. What did Peter do? He got, he got his fisher's coat. For the record said he was naked. No, he did. He wasn't naked as we understand the term. But he was not dressed properly as one should be uh, to, to meet someone, of course, as, 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 as such notoriety as our Lord. And so he grabbed his fisher coat and girded it about himself to make himself look properly. And he jumped over this thing, grabbed the boat and dragged them to the shore on his own. And the Lord would be watching him. Whipping this coat about him, buttoning it up probably, leaping into the water, getting the sun over his shoulder and striding up on the beach and dragging the whole boat full of fish. And when the incident was over of the, the humiliating questions that was put to him, verse 18 of John 21, Verily, verily, Peter, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. You see? Got his coat on, jumped into the sea and dragged that boat up through the waves. Yes, Peter? You girded yourself when you are younger and you, you went where you walked where you wouldest. For when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stress forth thy hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. So it's not in the attitude, brothers and sisters, of standing high and making ourselves level with the Lord and said, Lord, with you I am ready. Because he wasn't ready. But the day had to come when he was an older man, when he didn't have that sort of confidence when he didn't have the right to go and put on his own coat, someone put it on for him. And he didn't have the right to stride up on the beach, dragging a boat behind him, doing what he wanted to do. They took him where he didn't want to go. And when that attitude, brothers and sisters, finally overtook him, he was ready. Note Peter's comment in 1 Peter chapter 5. Just note it. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6. Likewise ye younger, when you were young, Peter, likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time. See, see that lesson, brothers and sisters, went really home, didn't it? When you, you younger brethren, he says, be clothed with your humility. Peter, when you were young, you girded on your own clothes, did what you wanted to do, Peter, doing service as you thought it should be done, Peter, equating yourself with me and saying, Lord, with you I'm ready. Are you, Peter? Well, he wasn't. And neither are we, brothers and sisters, with confident attitudes that'll soon get knocked straight out of you. I'll tell you that now. Anybody that's lived any amount of years in the truth would know that that attitude just gets belted out of you right, left and centre until you learn that you can do nothing except it be the will of God 
accept God be with us, brothers and sisters. That's not just a platitude. It might be when you were younger. You might have learned that at Sunday school. But now you know that you can do nothing in your own strength. You think you can, but you, you can't. And you learn that the hard way. Now back in Luke chapter 22, and now we, we've just skipped verse 34 about the cock crowing, because I want to come back to that in the other record of Matthew. But in verse 35, Jesus then went on to say, look, when I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lacked you anything? And they said nothing. And you remember the time when he sent them out uh, back in, 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 in Luke chapter 10 and in Matthew 10, you'll find in, in both of those chapters, Luke 10 and Matthew 10, the occasion when he sent them out, he said, don't take any purse, don't take sandals and shoes and staff, and don't take any of that, you, 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 you'll, be, you'll be fine and you'll be able to come to this village and they will give you lodging and if they don't, move to the next. And where you find lodging, don't move from there. Be happy what you've got and preach from that centre. Don't chop and change. And so he gave them very sound instructions. And they just went abroad, brothers and sisters, and the providence of God cleared their path and they came back and they said, Lord, it's been absolutely wonderful. We've had a marvellous trip and the devil's the subject to our name and so on and so on. Well, he says it's all going to be different. Verse 36. Then he said to them, But now, he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his scrip. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Now you see, brothers and sisters, previous to this, they were unbeknown to them, that they were under the shadow of his especial care. He could see. And his father could see, the father working through the son and the son cooperating with the father could see that they would not have been able to withstood the test of time. They couldn't do it. And they blithely went through life behind him in his shadow. He took the brunt of everything, didn't he? But we can't always do that. You see, the characters that are going to the kingdom of God have got to be developed individually, brothers and sisters. There comes a time when all of us have got to step out of the shadow of someone that's been protecting us, be it our mother or our father or some prominent brother or anything. You can't always walk in another person's shadow. You've got to get out in the sun. And that's necessary for us all. And for them it was going to be dreadfully necessary because the protection that they had was classic, wasn't it? Because every time anybody came up with any sort of criticism, the Lord was the brunt of it, wasn't he? They were all behind him. And he took it all. He says, different now. It's different. Now, he didn't mean to go and buy a literal sword. Matter of fact, we know that for a fact because in, in Matthew's Gospel, when, that, when Peter finally did use the sword, he said, you put the sword up. They that, that, that uh, use the sword will perish with the sword. Swords rust and perish. So will you if you go using that sword. So he obviously didn't mean that, brothers and sisters. He meant that they had to individually sharpen the weapons which are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10. Or as Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17 says, they had to sharpen the sword of the Spirit. That's what he meant. And then he gave them a classic warning. Now I want you to absorb this one. This was absolutely fantastic. He said, now you better get ready, because in verse 37, for I say unto you, that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me and he was reckoned among the transgressors. Now, brothers and sisters, think that through. 
That's Isaiah 53 and verse 12, isn't it? He was numbered with the transgressions. But here, it's not exactly like that. The Greek has it, literally says this, he was numbered in the midst of the transgressors. Now, you see what he's doing? Now, just get this point. When he quoted Isaiah 53 before in the room, he was numbered with the transgressions. He was talking about himself being numbered with humanity, being identified with them to become their representative so that when he died upon the cross, totally involved for himself on their behalf, they were all identified with him because he had identified with them. Now he says, when I'm gone, that verse is going to be applied to you in the reverse. Now they're going to see you as having been identified with me and I died as a criminal. See the point? And all of a sudden, that verse is turned right around, completely around, 180 degrees. So if I've been identified with you, it means that you will be seen to be identified with me. And sure enough, you're one of them. I saw you with him. You're a Galilean. And they were identified with a criminal. See, brothers and sisters, so next time we, we think about Isaiah 53 and verse 12 and how wonderful it was that our Lord should come to be identified with us, well... We've got to be identified with him. And what does the world think of him? Well, they think he's a fake. They think he's a cis, if they, if they believe he existed at all. And they think he's a madman, leader of a cult. That's what they think, and that's what they're going to think of you and me. And so Jesus said to them, didn't he? They shall put you out of the synagogues. They'll bring you before the magistrates. They'll run you into prison. They'll put you to death. Why? Because they'd be numbered with him. Isn't that terrific? So now that verse goes right around. Right around. And my word, if they didn't understand that, I don't know, but you wonder what they would have thought about that. But look at it in that context. And it's a terrific thing. You think, well, look at the wonderful privilege we got in the truth through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're baptised into Christ. And look at all the privileges that are come better as. Things that are in this life. Not only of the things to come, says Paul, but the promise of life that now is. Happiness, friends, ecclesia, the truth, friendship, everything around us, brothers, that we have, we have all enjoyed because he became identified with us. But the day will come, says Jesus, when you might have to be identified with me. And that's exactly what happened here. For he says, the things concerning me hath an end. Hath an end. Now, not the end that we would understand. Teleos here is a word, brothers and sisters, means the point aimed at. So Jesus said, look, the things concerning me will come to the point to which they've been aimed at. And what have they been aimed at? that we should suffer with Christ. For if we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. And their identity with him, brothers and sisters, was for a purpose, both to save them for the future and also to develop their characteristics now. There's a point aimed at in what, he's, what was being done and they were going to be involved in that. It's a very, very serious thing.
Well, they didn't understand it because uh, in verse 38 they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. So they, it went right over their heads, didn't it? They never got that point at all at that stage, did they? Two swords? Well, I'll tell you what, we know who had one of them. Peter, didn't he? We won't turn this reference up, but you know the record of John chapter 18 and verse 10 that when the servant of the high priest brought in the, uh, the rabble with him to arrest our Lord, it was Peter that drew his sword. So he got one of them. And Jesus said, it is enough. It's enough. Enough of that, he said. Enough of that. And you can imagine the way he said that, brothers and sisters, to dismiss that as being completely out of context with what he's talking about. Look, enough of that. Enough of that. Not even talking about that sort of thing. But he didn't explain to that point. He knew that those lessons would not all be learnt then. Now we come over to Matthew chapter 26. And this record, we are told, is the one that took place after they left the upper room. And again, it's the Lord who takes this matter up. You see, we read in verse 30, And when they had sung an hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now we'll come back to that in a further study about that hymn, but in this context tonight we're just considering these matters concerning Peter. But you see, they'd gone out of the Mount of Olives, then, Jesus, then said Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. All of you. Like he said back before, Satan hath desired to have all of you, and all of you will be offended. All of them, including Peter. Now the word offended, of course, scandalizo, which really means to trip up and to stumble. First of Peter, chapter 2, verse 8. Again, we've got Peter's comment here about stones and stumbling. And just think, brothers and sisters, written by a man whose name means a stone. Rather interesting. Verse 7 of the first of Peter, chapter 2. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same has become the head of the corner and a stone of scandalizer, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto they were also appointed. Now Peter's not referring to himself in that reference, brothers and sisters, but here's the rock talking about people stumbling over the rock and being offended by that rock. The rock can be two things. It can be a foundation stone upon which we can be built a holy temple or we can fall over the top of it and break our neck or it will, it will grind us to powder. It can be really three things. So it can either be our foundation for the kingdom of God. We can either fall over that rock and break our neck or, brothers and sisters, it will fall on us and grind us to powder. The same rock. And here's a man whose name is the rock. And that very name could have been a stumbling block to him, but it wasn't. But it could have been. And it's Peter who wrote that. Now how did the Lord know that that would happen to them? The Bible said it, didn't it? Coming back to Matthew 26. Now this is absolutely fascinating. Look at the application of this scripture, brothers and sisters. Then said Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Now that reference is taken, we'll have a look at it in a minute, is taken from Zechariah 13 and verse 7. Verse 6 says, 
one shall say, what are these wounds in thy hands? So it's a clear context of the revelation of the crucified Lord, finally, isn't it? He's talking about him. One shall say, what are these wounds in your hands? So it's obviously a chapter which is dealing with his work and, and of course, necessarily of his death. Wasn't the only place, brothers and sisters, where that reference was brought to their attention. Now, I just want to put this together for you. All right? Just have a look why this is put together because you just think of what he's trying to teach them. Now, th this is absolutely wonderful what this teacher is doing because all he does here was to remind them of a reference that he had spoken about before to them in a very significant context. Matthew 18. You ever heard of Matthew 18? Matthew 18. Now, what I'd like you to do, brothers and sisters, is to turn up with your other hand Zechariah chapter 13. Now, you just think of what he's doing here when he reminded the disciples of this reference. Now, just take Matthew 18. They're going to be converted to become as little children, he said in verse 3 of Matthew 18. And then in verse 6 he says, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones, and he's not talking about children, he's talking about adults, little ones who believe in me, the children of God he's talking about. Better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck. Verse 8. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off. Verse 9. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. Are you listening to that, brothers and sisters? You're going to hear all of this in Zechariah in a minute. If your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Verse 10, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. Verse 11, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. How think ye if a man had a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? And all of a sudden he goes into a discourse about scattered sheep. Verse 14, even so it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. That is all in Zechariah chapter 13. You have a look at it. Verse 6. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? And then he answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith Yahweh of armies. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn my hand upon... The little ones. Now, Rotherham beautifully renders that expression, turn my hand. He says, Howbeit I will turn back my hand over the little ones. That's what it means. And so you see, when you look at the Hebrew, what it's saying is this. He says, Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered, says God. But he says, I will turn my hand back over the little ones. They wouldn't be hurt. God would protect them. They'd lost their shepherd temporarily. And it was God that took him. I will smite the shepherd. Smite the shepherd, he said, and I will do this, and I will do so and so. So he gave commandment to smite the shepherd. It was God's work. He was smitten, brothers and sisters. Same word, Isaiah 53. For our transgressions, he was smitten. Same word. The eyes, referring to the intelligence, the means of investigation, are able to make spiritual judgments. They are eyes of fire in all the things that confront them. The feet have passed through the fire of tribulation so that they are now fine brass or flesh purified. 
and able to walk in direct paths and direct the paths of others. This vision has a voice of a multitude as those taken out of many nations for the purpose of God. Revelation itself gives us a definition of that in chapter 19 verse 6. You may wish to just record that. This one is able to uphold righteousness even as Yahweh upheld the right arm of his righteousness, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. That he Psalm 69 talks about the one whom Yahweh had chastened. That's the, that's the Messiah. Peter says they, they took it by wicked hands and crucified and slain by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And so here's a work of God that temporarily the shepherd would be smitten. And because it's a work of God, he doesn't abandon those people who have lost their shepherd for those three days and three nights, he put his hand over the little one. Now in the Garden of Gethsemane, or rather before the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he moves out there, he just quotes Zachariah and he doesn't tell him all that again. He just says, look, it's written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered full stop. They were expected to think, hey, wait a minute, but I believe in him. I'm one of his little ones. We might lose our shepherd, but the hand of Almighty God the hand of our Father, Yahweh, God of Israel, would go over the top of them. And if you don't think, brothers and sisters, that he's in that context, you, I don't know how you couldn't think it, just turn back to chapter 11, verse 15. And Yahweh said unto me, Take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd. For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land which shall not visit those that be cut off, neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that is broken, nor feed that which standeth still, but he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. Now listen to this. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. Woe unto them that, that offend the little ones. Better to cut off their arm and pluck out their right eye. So he's all in Zechariah, isn't he? And this wonderful man, brothers and sisters, is, is reminding these people, these disciples, of a conversation that went some weeks before, months before, which they ought to clearly have remembered. You see, the Lord was a wonderful teacher. Well, you, know, you, you sometimes say to yourself, well, why didn't he tell them in plain language that God would look after them? Well, he never ever t told them in plain language, brothers and sisters, for the simple reason he wanted them to come to a sterling conviction that was stick. And he alluded to scripture. He, he, he broadened it out in their understanding. He made its application up to a point. And they were expected to listen to that, grasp the significance of it, and when it happened, it would become a personal conviction. You can tell a person a thousand times in plain language, you go right over their head. But you know, sometimes when you allude to certain things, draw attention to this scripture and that scripture, but not make the full picture. Let person make their own conviction. It sticks there, brothers and sisters. That's what he wanted them to do. So he said to them, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. Didn't say any more because they would have expected to go back to that incident and to think about God's protection over them. But they didn't think about that, did they? Probably they did later, but they didn't, certainly didn't hear, brothers and sisters. Now back in Matthew chapter 26, he said this, But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Now, now I want you to notice this. That in the next verse, Peter protests his unfailing loyalty. In the next verse. Now you just think about this. 
So Jesus made an appointment with them. He set a time and he set a place. After I am risen again, I will go before thee into Galilee. I will go before thee is John chapter 10 and verse 4. The good shepherd goeth before his sheep. See the point? Oh yes, the shepherd would be smitten but one day you're going to be running along like a little flock of sheep behind me and I'm going to be going before you into Galilee. The shepherd goeth before his sheep. John chapter 10 and verse 4 that is. And you know, brothers and sisters, he said in that same chapter, you think this through, he said, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Now, if you took that no further, that's ridiculous. No shepherd in his right mind would give his own life for the sheep knowing that he's not going to come back from the dead again because he's left that sheep without a shepherd. They haven't got one. He went on to say, for I have power to lay down my life and I have power to take it again. And that made him a good shepherd because the shepherd could see, that this great shepherd could see that if he temporarily laid down his life, they would have him forever. An ordinary shepherd would be fool to go out there and give his life and then die into oblivion and leave those sheep leaderless. That would not be sensible. Far better for one to lose a couple of sheep and keep the rest, wouldn't it? Far better to save something. He would never do that. But Jesus knew something different. And so when he said, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered, he said, I will go before you. Just like the good shepherd does. And he knew why. Because he knew that as a result of him giving his life, they would never lose him again because he had power to take that life. Now it was in the context of after his resurrection, he said, I'll go before you into Galilee, that Peter then said, Lord, they'll all be offended, I won't. Now in Mark chapter 16, when the Lord rose from the dead, the angels came to the women that came to the tomb and they reminded Peter of that appointment. And the angel said to the women in Mark chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, he said unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, he's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee, there you shall see him as he said unto you. So go and tell his disciples and Peter but he goeth before you as he said unto you. That's clearly a reference to Matthew 26, the incident there, isn't it? Now why tell Peter that? Because Peter, in the next verse Peter said, they'll all be offended, I won't. Well, brothers and sisters, in Matthew 28 the appointment was kept. Notice how the records pick this up. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And what happened? The interrogation of Peter. Lovest thou me, Peter? You imagine that. Imagine the Lord standing there. Imagine Peter there, brothers and sisters. 
head to the ground, not able to look up. And the three searching questions. And in the back of the mind of Peter and of the Lord was that I made it a point to meet you here, Peter, and straight after that you said this, well, here we are. So the angel said, you go and tell his disciples and Peter. Isn't that interesting? All in that context. And so the appointment was kept, brothers and sisters, and Peter was reminded about these things that he had protested so vehemently. Now coming back to Matthew 26, look what he said. Verse 33, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Now you take out the word men because it's in italics. And Jesus had said, all of you shall be offended. So Peter's not talking about all men. He's talking about his fellow disciples. You know, brothers and sisters, that's an exceeding dangerous practice. It's an exceeding dangerous practice to be self-confident in the truth. We've all been through it. I know that certainly I have. Very confident about what we think we know. And you know, if we're so confident that what we think we know, without even being almost aware of it, we can say, well, it's a darn pity the others don't know as much. It's all, it's all very well saying, you and me, Lord, we're the greatest. But you see, it's a question of these others. You know, that's a very serious thing. When you think about the implications of self-confidence and self-righteousness, brothers and sisters, people who stand on their dig and who think they're above others. All this crowd here, Lord, they might have, I won't do it. You think about that. You think about God hates that. That's an abominable thing even to think that. Peter probably didn't dream this up. He probably didn't dwell upon it. But that's what he said. And when the searching question, the first question came to him, it was this. Lovest thou me more than these? But now he's there, brothers and sisters, when he was the one out of all of them who had sat there by that fire and swore and cursed that he'd never known the Lord. They hadn't done that. Peter, do you really love me more than these? You know, it really hurts sometimes when, when, when you see that done and you have it done to yourself, that people have that attitude. It's so wrong. And we will answer for that, brother. all of us will answer one day for that. And all of us have been guilty at some time in our life, we've done that. It's far better to esteem everyone better than yourself, brothers and sisters, and, and whatever you might think at the moment, there are sometimes hidden virtues in people that God is developing that you can't see. In a given crisis, they may appear as your champions and you might be the coward. That will overtake all of us. It certainly overtook Peter here. The appointment was made, the statement was made in that context and here they are together keeping the appointment and answering for that statement right there at that time of appointment. Yes, I find that very interesting. Peter had said, I will never be offended. Jesus had said, this night. Peter said, never. Who's right? Matter of fact, Mark in his record says, Peter vehemently said it, and it's in the continuous tense. And I guess he would have said, never, never, never. Three times. I don't know, but it's in the continuous tense. Never, never, never. 
three times? Well, it was going to happen, wasn't it? He was going to do it three times and he's going to answer for it three times. It's a very serious thing. But Jesus went on in verse 34 of Matthew to say this, Verily I say unto you, truly, that this night, so it's back again, isn't it? So Jesus had said in verse 31, this night, Peter had said never, and the Lord said, I'm telling you truly, Peter, this night. How did he know that? How does he know anything? It's incredible, brothers and sisters. You know, we talk about him being the word made flesh. We talk about him being the son of God. There are inexplicable things here. How did he know all that? He certainly didn't make Peter deny him three times, did he? The Lord doesn't do that, but he knew it would happen. It's incredible. Before the cock crow, he said, you'll do that, Peter. Now Mark says, before the cock crowed twice. Some people might like to make a, 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 you know, a, a contradiction in the record. There's no contradiction. And obviously twice was right because of what happened later on. We, we know in Mark, as he describes it, later on they did crow the second time. So Mark gave the details. So simply Jesus, Matthew's record said he would crow. But Mark says he would go twice. Now the cock crowing, brothers and sisters, was an expression used for a point of time. In Mark chapter 13, you have this expression. It was just not a rooster crowing only, but there was a time which was called the cock crowing. And here it is in the, in the 13th chapter of Mark, in verse 35. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. Now we're told that, that there were four watches to a Roman night and they were 9pm, midnight, 12pm, 3am in the morning and 6am in the morning. And we're told in the Jewish histories that the last two of those were known as the cock crowing. Not necessarily a cock would crow at that particular time, who would know? But those, that, those times of the early morning were known as the cock crowing. Now in John chapter 18, brethren and sisters, the, we read very interestingly when the last one came. As Peter sat around that fire and was questioned in verse 26 of John chapter 18, and one of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter had cut off, saith, Did I not see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. Immediately. So it was really interesting, wasn't it? It was almost like a trumpet sound, wasn't it? But when Peter had got the third denunciation, rejection of his Lord, really. Denial of his Lord. When it came out of his mouth, immediately he heard that bird. And it went straight through him like an arrow, didn't it, brothers and sisters? This night, Peter said, never. The Lord repeated it again. Peter, truly, I'm telling you, this night. And it wouldn't only be, brothers and sisters, a question of remorse, though that, of course, was the greatest factor because he wept bitterly. He wept tears of bitterness, didn't he, over that remorse which is to his eternal credit that he did would not only be that it would be 
frightening to know of the knowledge of the one that told him that, of who he really was. You just think of that, who he really was that knew that. It all went home, didn't it, brothers and sisters? There'd been three denials, there's going to be three questions. It's going to be the place of that appointment. And you know, Matthew record finishes with this statement. It's the last verse we want to consider this evening, the last statement here in verse 35. Then, said, then Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. Now you see, you imagine the Lord watching this. And even after the Lord has said to him again, Peter, I'm telling you, truly, verily, I'm telling you, it will happen, Peter. And Peter says, no, it won't. And all the disciples, hearing Peter, said, no, we won't either, Lord. We'll stand with Peter. Now, the Lord had said, Peter, when you turn back, strengthen your brethren. And you know, really, the words there for strengthening his brethren are not only words which mean establish them. It really, in the Greek, means to get them to turn around and go in a de- determinedly in another direction. That's what the word means. So he's saying to Peter, Peter, when you've turned around, you go back to those brethren of yours and you get them to turn around and with a determined attitude, with a very determined attitude, you get them to go in the right direction. And here they are in a very determined attitude to go with Peter in the wrong direction. Isn't it? That's what he was, was happening here. Likewise said all the disciples, no doubt emboldened by Peter's stand. And they weren't turning around, they were emboldened to go down the track that Peter was going and Peter was leading them there, brothers and sisters. And how often does that happen? Isn't it a tremendous responsibility? that We talk about leadership. Well, well, no one really says I'm a leader, but all of a sudden people think you are and so that people do what you say or, or think what you say is right and where you go is right. Well, we were to make sure it is. And if we're not going in the right way, I'd better make sure that we turn around and go back the right way and tell our brethren that we've gone wrong and for them to turn around with us and determine to go the right way, isn't it? It's not easy to do that. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, that we get a following, someone will get a following, and such is the following that a person might realise that they're going in the wrong direction and haven't got the humility to say that and determinedly go that way still and lead everybody else with them. That's what Peter was doing here. He didn't realise, of course, he wasn't doing that with any, any degree of, of deliberate uh, action against the Lord. He thought he was doing the right thing. He, he thought he had it all wrapped up, didn't he? He thought he could do what he was saying, but he couldn't do what he was saying. And he had these group of disciples who were less strengthened than he was to do it. They didn't have any more strength. They had less strength than he had, and he was taking them down that track. When he should have been telling them then, look, we've all got to turn around and determinedly and doggedly make our way back this way. But of course, that was to come later. And you know, when it all happened in John 21, and we'll come to that in our study, we'll do this in detail, it's fascinating, but when we come there, brothers and sisters, and he went through that process three times, lovest thou me, at the end of it he said to Peter, follow me. And so the Lord would have walked off, come on Peter, Follow me. He just told him what death he would die. Signified. So he would have given him 
a classic illustration of his own death, what Peter would die, how he would die to glorify God. He said, Peter, you're going to make it one day. You're going to get there. You're going to die. But it will glorify God. Now, come on, follow me. And he would have walked off and what happened? John comes up behind Peter. Peter turns around and said, what's he doing? When the Lord had told him that when, you, when Peter, you turn around and follow me, you get everybody to come along behind you. Still hadn't learned that lesson. Turn around and said, you didn't talk about him coming. What's he doing here? Isn't that incredible? But when he should have understood that if he followed behind the Lord, they'd all follow behind him. That's what the Lord was trying to get him to do. And, and it's the same with us, isn't it, brothers and sisters? If we, if we can perceive, it don't have to be a, a leader in that sense. No one claims that. But you, we're all in some sense, I think, we can all be leaders, we can get people to follow, be it little kiddies in Sunday school, whatever. But if they see you going in the direction, that's the way they should be. If you, if you know you're right, if in all humility you've seen that track and you know that's the way to go, then go there and bring people along behind you. Don't ever think that you're an elite, that you're different, that you're a cut above somebody else. We're all here to be leaders. Israel were called out of Egypt to lead the world to God, weren't they? And this is the whole point of it. But Peter did not see that, brothers and sisters. But God be thanked he did. And when the time came for a spokesman to be chosen for the apostles to stand in public and to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ to an unbelieving world at that stage, it was dear old Peter that was chosen because he had learnt that lesson in deep humility. The circumstances of life, brothers and sisters, had affected him and he was a different man and he was turned around and he did bring his brethren with him. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.